Hey, this is Glover Teixeira, UFC Light Heavyweight Champion. Hi, I'm Robbie Lawler. What's up, Fight Family? This is your favorite MMA coach, Tiago Alves, the Pitbull. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Pedro Moyes. Mike Brown. Hey, I'm Alexey Alenik. And welcome. And welcome. And welcome. And welcome. And this is We Want One Picks. And you're watching We Want Picks. To We Want Picks. To We Want Picks. To We Want Picks. To We Want Picks. Hi, everybody from American Top My name's Angelo, and welcome to We Want Picks. I'm going to break down the entire UFC Vegas 54 fight card. I'm going to give you my picks. I'm going to give you my predictions, and I'm going to give you my bets. It is not the biggest fight card. We only have 11 fights, but I'm going to break down every single one of them for you. And if you want 50 free bucks, $50 for free, go to wewantpicks.com bets. Sign up with any one of our six betting partners make a deposit, and we send you $50 as a thank you. And I emphasized six because we just added a new partner, Match Bets. Match Bets is peer-to-peer betting. So instead of you versus the sports book, it's you versus another person like you. You get much better odds that way because the book doesn't have to worry about covering losses. They're just taking a small piece off the top. We want picks.com slash bets. Sign up with any of them, make a deposit, and we send you 50 bucks as a thank you. And this is brought to you by EarnU.io. EarnU is the world's first sports and esports prediction game, allowing you to earn crypto risk free. Check it out now at EarnU.io. It is a perfect marriage between crypto and sports betting, and there is literally zero risk. And opening up the UFC Vegas 54 fight card, we have a rebooked fight. Tatsuru Tyra is taking on Carlos Candelario, and this was supposed to happen at UFC Vegas 53 two weeks ago. But on fight day, Carlos had some undisclosed medical issue. The fight was canceled. We are now rebooked, and we're running it back. You know, honestly, the cancellation of the fight might play a factor in this because I don't know why the fight was canceled. I don't know what his medical issue was. We just saw Donald Cerrone last night at UFC 274. That fight was canceled, but he was vomiting. He had food poisoning, something like that. Two weeks later, no problem. You're free and clear. Really bad weight cut issues? Maybe not, and I just don't know what the problem was. But anyway, we have Tatsuro Tyra taking on Carlos Candelario. Tatsuro Tyra, he's a big prospect. People have been talking about him for a while now. He's the number one ranked flyweight in Japan. And like a lot of the fighters coming out of that region, he's really young. He is only 22 years old, but he does have 10 fights with nine finishes. If you had to put him in a category, you'd probably call him a grappler, but he's also a patient striker with legit power in his hands. He has a handful of submissions that were set up from the strikes on his feet, and then he just used his incredible speed to just snatch up a submission from there when it hit the ground. He does not have the best takedowns, but he will stick with them and continue to work on them until he drags you to the ground. Carlos Candelari is a Northeast guy that's been coming up for a while. He's coming up a loss on the Contender Series, but he was an incredibly fun fight, and he was able to work a UFC contract out of it anyway. And correct me if I'm wrong, because you guys love doing that shit, but I do think he was the first person to get a contract in a loss on the Contender Series. Style-wise, he's pretty good everywhere. He's got very good hands. He has Golden Glove experience. He's got solid BJJ with competition experience there as well. And up until his split decision loss on the Contender Series, he was undefeated, but there is a four-year gap of competition there, and he had some injuries and just some life stuff 
that prevented him from fighting for a few years. And anytime we get an undefeated Asian prospect, people always scream about padded records, level of competition and things like that. But Tyra is different. He does seem to have done it correctly. If you dig into his record, pretty much every fight was against an opponent who is tougher than the one before that, right? He has guys with 30 fights experience and he, he almost everybody in those 10 wins has a positive record and the competition got increasingly more difficult as it went on. And this is a really fun fight. I think Tyra's the more technical fighter, but Carlos is definitely the tougher fighter. And I think Carlos has more ways to win. I think Tyra can push a clean ground and pound game though. And without getting sucked into a brawl, he can definitely take the decision. But if he lets Carlos make it ugly, like he did in both of his contender series fights, then I think we see Scar Carlos squeak out a decision. Carlos is a dog. He's willing to go to war. He just hasn't been the same since that four-year layoff in 2017. This is definitely a close fight. Last time this fight opened, 2-1 to one for Tyra. The odds tightened up a little bit. Carlos was Jacob's lock of the week last time. I don't know if he still is. We'll have to find out when Jacob does his video. But I still like Tyra to win this fight. The cancellation two weeks ago only... You know, I don't know why it was canceled, so I can't put a stake in the ground and 100% say definitely Carlos is going to lose because he is a dog. But that canceled – I was already on Tyra. The canceled fight doesn't help Carlos's case at all. So Tyra is still the pick here, and uh, we'll see if we ride him to a victory on Saturday night. Then we've got the return of Michael Johnson, and he's taking on Alan Patrick. Michael Johnson's coming back after a year away from the cage in a loss to Clay Guida. And fun fact, Clay Guida was Jacob's first ever lock of the week win, and it was in that fight. He picked him over Michael Johnson. Michael Johnson's a very talented guy who has incredibly tough competition slate. And it's easy to look at his 13 losses and assume that he's just not very good. But let's take a closer look. His losses are to Benil Dariush, Nate Diaz, Khabib, Justin Gagey, Darren Elkin, Tiago Moises, Clay Guida. These are good quality losses that have held over time. Skill-wise, he's pretty good everywhere. He's a talented striker who doesn't have a ton of power, but he does have nice footwork. He's got a positive striking differential at around a half a strike, which is impressive considering his opponents and those losses. A typical path to victory against Michael Johnson would be to get him to the ground. He was taken down in all four of his UFC losses in all but four of his UFC losses. Alan Patrick is a grappler who charges forward with giant punches to get takedowns. His striking is not pretty, but it is effective for what he's trying to do. He has 23 takedowns in nine fights, and there are no secrets as to what he's looking to do. He has a negative striking differential, which is always alarming for grapplers because of how much time he spends on top where he should not be getting hit at all. So that always tells me that in the striking exchanges on the feet, things are not going well for him. And he makes up some ground when they hit the ground. His last fight is a no contest to Mason Jones, but that was because of an eye poke. But he was on his way to losing that fight as well. This should be a pretty easy pick for Michael Johnson, right? He's the more well-rounded guy. He's fought the higher level of competition. He has more ways to win. The problem is that he does lose fights that he can't keep standing. And Allen averages more than three takedowns per fight. The other problem is that ever since the Black Zillions broke up, that was the gym that Michael Johnson was at when he really started to put it all together. And then Glenn Robinson, the owner, died. Michael Johnson has not really been able to put it together. He just hasn't been the same 
since that gym fell apart. He's at Sanford MMA now. Sanford MMA is sort of like the, the uh, I don't know, all the people from Black Zillions came together and started Sanford MMA. But, you know, with that being said, I, I do think there are levels to this. And not that Michael Johnson is top tier, number one contender level, but I do think he's a level above Alan Patrick. He is aging, though. He's had a little bit of trouble putting things together over the last few years. And Alan Patrick is older but has fewer miles on him. I do like Michael Johnson to win this fight. It is not the most confident pick that I have on this card, though. And that takes us to a battle of the grapplers or wrestler versus grappler, however you want to phrase that. We've got Nick Maximoff taking on Andre Petrosky. Nick Maximoff is a very solid BJJ guy who knows what he's good at and he sticks to it. His striking is pretty raw, but his MMA takedowns continue to improve. He has college wrestling background and he showed it off against Punahil Soriano in his last fight. Nick was getting outstruck in the first round, but then he went to that wrestling and really started to put together and took that win. Andre Petrovsky is also a very good wrestler with great takedowns. His stand-up is just okay, but it is loaded with power shots that are just there to set up the wrestling. He is absolutely a wrestler, and his wrestling is dominant, fast, and in your face. Andre has looked good in his last few fights, but we did watch him lose to Brian Battle on The Ultimate Fighter, and that was because he did not set up his takedowns well enough, and that could be a problem here as well. This is a tough fight to call because it's wrestler versus grappler. Maximov is a grappler that has wrestling takedowns. Petrovsky is a pure wrestler that has submission defense. And I think I trust Andre to go to his wrestling first, but I trust Nick to be more dangerous on the ground. When I saw this matchup, I was basically immediately stressed out because this is a tough pick. The odds love Maximov here at almost a four to one favorite, but I think that's very wide because Andre can definitely have success throwing those bombs, shooting his own takedowns. I am going to lean Maximov right now because they both have takedowns, but he has a very clear jujitsu advantage. But man, you wrestle a wrestler. And if Andre Petrovsky goes out there, just starts shooting takedowns, he can ride out a win on top. But I am going to stick with Maximov for now. I trust him. Let's see how this week progresses and see if that pick changes later in the week. Then we've got... Rob Schneider taking on Angela Hill. And that's a really bad dump bump style joke, but Verna Janaroba taking on Angela Hill. Verna Janaroba is fantastic on the ground. Her striking is just okay, but she hits hard and throws with solid volume. She doesn't have much head movement, and the stats tell that story as well because for almost every three strikes that she lands, she's hit four times. There are no secrets to her game plan. Throw big, heavy punches. Look for a takedown. She's 3-3 three and three in the UFC, but her losses are pretty solid. They were decent outings against Carla Esparza, Mackenzie Dern, and Amanda Hibas. Angela Hill is hot and cold, but she's a high IQ fighter who is good on her feet, fast, has lots of versatility and volume, but not much power. When breaking down her fights, you'll see that Angela beats the people she's supposed to, like Ashley Yoder, and then loses to the one she's supposed to, like Tisha Torres, Karate Hottie, and just recently, Anda Limos. But in that fight, a lot of people think she won. She's a talented fighter who has become the gatekeeper and the measuring stick of this division. She's good everywhere, but not really a threat anywhere, meaning she doesn't really have the finishing threat on the ground or on her feet, but she's very good and very well-rounded. Her path to victory is stick and move, avoid the power, avoid the takedowns. And this is another fight where I think the odds are wide. Jandaroba sits as a pretty heavy favorite, and I totally understand that 
because she's the more dangerous fighter, but so was Amanda Lemos, and Angela Hill gave her a ton of trouble. Janaroba needs big punches to set up her takedowns, and Angela Hill is not only fast and has that fast in and out striking, but she's got pretty good takedown defense at 78%. And this goes against everything I believe in because I've been saying for years that Angela Hill is overrated, but I think Angela Hill wins this fight. Her fight IQ is really good. Her technical striking can keep her on the outside. Her takedown defense can keep this standing. So Angela Hill's the pick, but the bet, the bet to place here, at least for me, is a plus three and a half. If you don't know what that is, you buy a round on the judge's scorecard. So she'll get three and a half points on the judge's scorecard. All Angela Hill needs to do in real life is win one single round. If she wins one round and it goes to a decision, I hit my bet, even if she loses the decision. So I'm going to place that bet as soon as that line drops. You're only going to get it at Bet Online. So go to wewantpicks.com slash bets. We have six betting partners. Bet Online is the one partner that offers that buy a round prop bet. If you hop in and you make a deposit, we will send you $50 as a thank you. And that takes us to Vivian Arujo versus Andrea Lee. Vivian Arujo is a grappler who is very comfortable striking as well. She has technical boxing and great low kicks, but she does get hit pretty often and has a negative striking differential. She's athletic, fast, and always looking for a finish both standing and on the ground, but conditioning can be an issue for her in the later rounds because of the pressure that she puts on in these fights. Andrea Lee has been on the comeback with two stoppage wins in a row after a three-fight skid. But if you go back and look at that three-fight skid, you'll see that they were close fights. And she honestly was just a few defended takedowns away from being 8-0 in the UFC. She's a dynamic striker who uses punches and kicks really well. She's incredibly tough and has improved grappling. She had three takedowns in her win over Shevchenko, but also had three against Roxanne Monteferi and three against JoJo Calderwood. The gap, however, is that her takedown defense can be trouble and it can definitely give her some trouble in this fight. I think Andrea Lee is pretty solid here, and I like her in this fight. It's 2022, so everybody is a well-rounded fighter, but this is pretty close to a striker versus grappler matchup, and I do think Andrea's striking is good enough to stay away from the grappling rage. She has eight UFC fights, and she outstruck seven of her opponents. Even in her losses, she's winning those striking exchanges, and she's hanging in the grappling, at least defensively on the ground. The Roxanne Monteferi loss is the only thing that scares me in this matchup. That's the one thing that does have me worried. But I think she's going to be well-prepared, and Andrea Lee is my pick in this fight. So we'll see how this goes, but I, I trust her. I trust her more, and her hands look so good in all those matchups. And just look at this striking differential. Almost 6-4, to four, and that's very, very solid against Vivian Arujo, who is a negative striking differential. And then we have England's Jake Hadley taking on Alan Nascimento. Jake Hadley's a well-rounded guy. He's got solid boxing and timing on his feet with decent takedowns and aggressive BJJ on the ground. He's coming off a really nice win on the Contender Series, but it wasn't without controversy. There was weight issues, so he missed weight. Apparently, he was also very rude to the staff, and Dana was told not to sign him, but did it anyway. The reality is that Hadley's a very good fighter with titles in multiple regional promotions. He can strike, he can grapple, and he can stick to a high pace for a full 15 minutes. 
Alan Nascimento is a fun striker who likes to grapple as well. He doesn't have much to offer in the wrestling department, but he has no problem getting into a brawl, getting taken down, and then working sweeps and submissions from there. The problem is if he can't get those sweeps or create a scramble, he ends up on bottom the whole fight just getting pounded on. That's exactly what happened against Tagir Ulenbekov in his last fight. He's got okay power in his hands, but a miserable 6% takedown accuracy and 16% takedown defense. And I think I've made it clear in the past that the contender series fade is just an annoying nonsense narrative that I just do not agree with. And this fight will put the nail in that coffin. I like Hadley to win here. He is only eight fights into his career, but he has the composure of a veteran. He can hang on his feet, hang on the ground, and is overall the better fighter. Obviously, he needs to be careful with Nascimento's ground game, but the reality is that Alan Nascimento has zero control of this, where this fight goes. He can't get the takedowns. He can't stop the takedown. So he can't dictate what happens here. Jake Hadley will be the one who determines if he wants to strike or if he wants to grapple. So Jake Hadley is the pick and goodbye to the contender series fade narrative. Then we have Davy Grant taking on Luis Smoka. Davy Grant as of late, has been a busy striker who utilized kicks and range really well with his punches for damage, and he has some really solid power. He's coming off two losses, but they're good ones. A decision loss to Cheeto Vera, who now we all know is stupid powerful, and a split decision loss to Adrian Yanez were literally two strikes with a difference. It was 100 strikes to 98 strikes, and all else was equal. But a lot of people forget that, that Davy Grant started his UFC career as a grappler, and as a whole, Davy Grant is an experienced grappler who has gotten comfortable with his hands and has developed real power as of late. With nine fights under the UFC banter, banner, he has built himself some solid fight IQ. Even when he gets dropped, which is a little more often than you would like, he stays composed and he's able to work through it. Luis Smoka is primarily a striker with clean boxing, a solid pace, and great footwork. He is similar to Clay Guida in that his feet are always moving. He has a decent five to four striking differential and averages around two takedowns per fight. He has volume pressure, but not much in the way of power. Historically, his chin was solid, but Vince Morales did just put him out. Davy Grant is coming into this with four performance of the night bonuses in a row. The guy puts on a show and is always fun to watch. But that's actually what worries me a little bit here because I mentioned he started his career as a grappler, but he's become a striker as of late. And I don't want him chasing a bonus, looking for that knockout when his more obvious path is the grappling. I do think if they stand and trade, Davey will be the more dangerous guy, but the less technical one. I'm on the Davey Grant side with this fight, but I would like to see him work in some grappling. I don't want him to become a striker. I need him to be a well-rounded fighter, work in the grappling, make people guess what you're going to do because he's not going to be more technical, but you work in that grappling and you can definitely have more success that way. So Davy Grant is the pick. Then we have the decision queen, Caitlin Chikagian, taking on Amanda Hebas. Caitlin Chikagian is a tough ones and twos fighter who works hard and stays very busy. She's an absolute master of the basics and pretty much out decisions anyone who isn't a top four fighter. She's not a finisher, but she game plans really well. She'll strike with a grappler, grapple with a striker, and does a really good job making those adjustments inside of a fight. Her only two losses in the last four years have been to Jessica Andrade and Valentina Shevchenko. Her other wins 
All of those wins are decisions. Every single one is a decision where she had a clear striking advantage. She is a problem for the division because anytime the UFC builds up a prospect, Caitlin Chikagian manages to take them down, not literally take them down, just take them down off the pedestal the UFC has been building them up on. Amanda Hebas is a pretty complete fighter. She started her career as a grappler, but she's added striking and is now comfortable everywhere. Her striking stats are fantastic. She has a five to two striking differential. So for every five strikes she lands, she has only hit twice. To top that off, her takedown defense is a solid 86%. She famously handed Mackenzie Dern her first loss. She outstruck her more than three to one and even got her own takedowns without any concern of being submitted. And this is a tricky fight to pick because I think Amanda Hibas might actually be the more overall well-rounded fighter. I think she's the more complete fighter because her hands are very good and her BJJ is dangerous. She's very dangerous on the ground. And as far as stoppages are concerned, Amanda Hibas is definitely more live for a stoppage. But I just don't know how you can pick against Caitlin Chikagian in these fights. She's an absolute decision machine. Her and Raquel Pennington are very similar. They're not flashy at all, but they can be counted on to go out there and just decision anyone who isn't the champion at the time. So the pick is Caitlin Chikagian, and honestly, right now she's sitting at minus 150. That's looking like a pretty good money line bet because Caitlin's going to do what she does, which is yell while throwing one or two punches at a time and just circling around like crazy, racking up big-time strike numbers. Then we've got a pretty, I don't want to say weird fight, but it's an interesting fight here. We got Frank Camacho coming back after two years, and he's taking on Manuel Torres in an official UFC debut. So Frank Camacho, again, two-year layoff, and he's lost four of his last five fights, but he's actually a pretty talented guy. He's a solid grappler with intense ground and pound. He has BJJ skills, but... When he hits the top, he's honestly looking for power and TKO instead of a submission. He has okay stand-up. It's essentially him just rushing forward with a ton of volume, hoping that something big lands. When he does that, though, it leaves him open to get hit, and you can see that right here with the insane striking differential. He is hit with more than seven significant strikes per minute. His chin is fading. He's a bit older but he's still a gamer with solid takedown defense and the ability to make fights ugly. Manuel Torres is a very well-rounded prospect who has dangerous striking and dangerous grappling. His striking isn't technical, but he uses his knees from the clinch really well, and he loves throwing head kicks and leg kicks. If you look at his physique, he's long and skinny, and he really does a great job working with that. His submissions are long limb-style submissions. So for example, triangles where the longer your legs are, the more success rate you have. Power guillotines where you can work that RM, arm in and then, and then pull it over. And anything that utilizes leverage, he does a really good job with. Same logic with his clinch work. He's so long that he can keep his hips far away. He can plumb you up top. And then those knees have an awesome travel distance right up the middle. And he doesn't have to worry about the takedowns because his hips can be so far away. And a lot of people are going to look at these two fighters' records. They're going to pull up topology, look at their records, and just look at the odds and immediately throw their life savings at Manuel Torres. I understand Frank Camacho is one and four in his last five, but he's a good fighter. He's powerful, strong, solid grappling, decent striking, pretty tough guy. He has twice the experience of Torres and a world's more fight IQ. My biggest issue is the layoff. You just never know what somebody's going to look like after two years away. 
And it wasn't even an easy two years off. He had all sorts of issues in that two years. And I just can't imagine he's coming back refreshed and ready to go. So the pick is Torres, but don't let the records fool you. This is going to be a close fight. Frank Camacho is absolutely a gamer and frankly, pretty live in this matchup. Then we have the co-main event of the evening. We have Ryan Spann at 6-5, taking on Ion Kutalaba. And Ryan Spann is absolutely massive. He's got a ton of power. And it's just exactly what you would think he does by looking at him. He is 6-5, jacked, huge for light heavyweight. He's very dangerous and has a lot of finishing upside. His issue, however, is his speed. He's not very fast. So he'll never be the first one to the jab. And if you can move around him or shoot under those, you can absolutely piece him up or have some success with the grappling. But Ryan Spann, big, strong, and dangerous. Ayan Kutalaba is coming off a nice win over Devin Clark where he had eight takedowns before that draw. And Sorry, eight takedowns. And before that, a draw to Dustin Jacoby where he had nine takedowns. He's definitely a grappler, but he also has very good power in his hands, and he's happy to fight in a phone booth. He's sort of a feast or famine fighter, though, so he'll be chasing a stoppage, and he may get stopped while doing it. He's good on the ground and racks up a ton of takedowns, but they can be sloppy body locks that are more muscle than technique. Kutalaba gets finished in his losses, but that's to great strikers or to very good BJJ guys, and while Ryan Spann will be dangerous, I don't know if he's going to be dangerous enough, and there's no reason to overcomplicate this breakdown. Ryan Spann is big, he's strong, he's dangerous, but he has grappling holes, right? Anthony Smith was able to exploit them, and I think Kutalaba will not have any trouble doing the same. He obviously needs to be careful on his feet, but I see Kutalaba getting the takedowns and most likely a finish on the ground. There's no reason to overcomplicate these breakdowns, and I know we all tend to do that, but the reality is Ryan Spann can be taken down can be stopped on the ground. It's happened by lesser grapplers. I just think it happens again. And then we've got the main event of the evening. Two strikers, one aging out, one starting to hit his prime. We have Jan Blachowicz taking on Alexander Rakic. Jan Blachowicz is the former light heavyweight champion in the world who lost his belt to Glover Teixeira back in October. You will see that that was a submission loss, but don't forget that that was set up by a big Big punch by Glover. The punch rocked him. The submission finished it off. So his chin, a little bit of fading going on there. But Jan is a striker who hits incredibly hard and has solid wrestling. We don't see the wrestling often, but we did see it on display when he beat Israel Adesanya with three takedowns. He's a well-rounded guy with a world of experience. He's 11-6 and six in the UFC with wins over Jared Cannonier, Jacare Souza, Luke Rockhold, and Izzy Adesanya. Alexander Rachik is a dynamic striker who uses his length and reach to out-technique and out-decision his opponents. He mixes in kicks really well and has no issues transitioning from leg kicks to head kicks while moving forward. While he does have power, he likes to fight on the outside and not necessarily look for a brawl. Because of this, his strike numbers are high, but his significant strike numbers are low. So for example, he had landed 141 strikes against Anthony Smith, but only 44 of them were significant. Lots of jabs, lots of touch-ups. He's coming off a decision win over Tiago Santos, which could arguably have gone the other way. But overall, Rachik is a well-rounded guy with striking as a base and wrestling if he needs it, certainly wrestling defense. And I mentioned all of the incredible wins that Jan has, but if you noticed, they were all middleweights 
that he had a clear power advantage over. And this is such a hard fight to call, but I do think that Jan has a few good fights left in him, and he absolutely still has a ton of power. Rachik is the more dynamic fighter, but doesn't have the same like one-punch power to end the fight that that um, Jan does. Rachik has tremendous takedown defense at 90%, but his offense can use a little bit of work. So if he gets in trouble, he can't necessarily just rely on takedowns to get him out of it. I really am torn here, but I, I do think I'm leaning Rachik. I know at these higher weight classes, the older guys can have success for longer, but I do think Rachik's more technical. I think he's just a more dynamic striker, but the power is going to be a big difference here. He needs to worry about that power. He needs to stay on the outside, stick and move, work the touch-ups. I want to see him use a lot of kicks to manage the distance. So Alexander Rachik is the pick here, but this is a close, close fight, and Jan Blachowicz may go out there and remind everybody why these older guys have been doing so well lately. So, guys, let me know your picks below. Join our free Discord. Every single thing we do here is free. Join the Discord. Let us know your picks there. Let me know down below. Like, subscribe, do all those things, and don't forget, we wantpicks.com slash bets. Sign up with any one of our five betting partners, make a deposit, and we send you $50 as a thank you.